0: 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-4 to four. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Righto. Well, um, today we're beginning our new series on 2 Peter. Uh, It's a letter that Peter wrote, obviously. Um, But what's not so obvious is it's actually intended to be a voice from the grave, even for his original readers, uh, which in my view makes this letter somewhat unique. See, most of the time when we're studying one of the letters of the apostles, or if you like big fancy religious words, you might call them epistles, Um, But most of the time we're reading one of these letters from the apostles. Essentially what's happening is we're reading someone else's mail. Um, So most of the letters have been written and addressed to particular churches who at a particular point in time were dealing with particular issues for them. And yet so often, I'm really glad that we now get to read those letters. Those letters, most of them, well, a lot of them were kept and we now have them in our Bibles. And I thank God for them because... I don't know about you, but I find that often when we read these letters ourselves and when we're studying them as a church, that they speak to real issues and real crises of faith that we have at our current place and our current point of time. But when Peter wrote this letter, yes, there may have been a few issues that were current issues that he was addressing, but the Lord had revealed to Peter that he didn't have long left to live that his time on earth was going to be quite short. And it wasn't long after he wrote this letter that Peter was executed for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand it was around about the year 64 AD when Peter was crucified by the Romans. And at his request, he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel that he was worthy to die in the same way as his Lord. And Peter has his imminent death in mind as he writes this letter. And he wants the church that he's writing to uh, to be reminded of a few things. You see, Jesus had revealed to Peter years earlier that there would be false teachers and there would be false prophets who would try and twist the truth of the gospel. And Jesus had also given Peter a very great responsibility when he said to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yeah, I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And then a second time, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Jesus, I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. And then a third time, and I suspect Peter probably would have had a few tears starting to form in his eyes by now. But the third time, Jesus said to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Jesus, you you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And this is what Peter's doing in this letter. Peter is loving Jesus by tending to Jesus's sheep and feeding Jesus's sheep. And at this point, he's actually making sure that the sheep know how to find good tucker after Peter's gone, because he's not gonna be around for much longer. And he's giving them a reminder to hold fast to what they were taught by the apostles. And to not be led astray by new teachings, by teachings that might have an appearance of being spiritual, might have an appearance of being godly, but are nothing more than cleverly devised myths or man made make believe. So, Peter identifies himself as being an apostle. Now, what's that? As as we read the, the New Testament, we often read about the apostles. And I've often talked about them up here. What is an apostle? Well, I'm going to start out by saying we don't have apostles anymore today. Some people may have a spiritual gift of apostleship and have apostle-like gifts so that they have a gift of being able to be sent out and take the gospel to places where the gospel hasn't been, such as a missionary might have a gift of apostleship where they sow the seeds of the gospel where the gospel hasn't been preached and, and people come to faith. But I would be very wary of anyone who claims to be an apostle today. Uh, because often they're claiming for themselves an authority that hasn't been given to them by God. You see, the Greek word apostolos means one who is sent. um, But within the church, that actually became an an office of apostle, a a position description of an apostle um, for somebody who is designated as an apostle meant that this person had a very special authority given to them. Usually it had been somebody who had had walked with Jesus and had heard the teachings of Jesus firsthand. I guess the Apostle Paul's an anomaly in this regard because he calls himself, I'm an abortion of an apostle. I'm like an apostle untimely born, right? Because he actually didn't get to walk with Jesus and hear the teachings of Jesus firsthand, but most of them did. But something that was essential was that an apostle had to have been an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. You see, everything about our faith hinges on whether Jesus was raised from the dead or not. And so it was so important that the apostles had actually been eyewitnesses that, yes, I can tell you, Jesus was raised from the dead. And so the apostles, they actually became responsible for nailing down what the Christian faith is. And it's their testimony which has now been recorded in the New Testament. And so all matters of faith and belief must line up with what the apostles taught. Uh, If it's not consistent with what the apostles taught, it's not from God. And if anyone ever says to you, God's given me a new revelation, um, well, what what we have to do is we have to test that so-called revelation. And if that so-called new revelation conflicts with what the apostles taught don't listen to that person not even for a minute because they're a false teacher right? it's not complicated what it means is don't just accept blindly the teachings of man turn to the scriptures what do the scriptures say And this goes for for here as well. If I teach you something today and you go, you know what, I've never heard that before. You turn to the scriptures and you check out, is what Michael said right or or is it not right? Don't feel that you're going to offend me. To me, that's the greatest greatest thing that can happen is if from reading, from, from hearing a message today, you delve into your scriptures to check it out for yourself. Is that really what God is saying? And then let the scriptures shape and form you. But having said that, in a few weeks' time, we're also going to learn to be careful that when the scriptures are being read and when the scriptures are being quoted, we have to be careful that they're not being twisted, that they're not being distorted to change what they really mean. In other words, when somebody quotes from the Bible, we need to check out, okay, are they accurately representing what the scriptures are saying here? Or have they put forward this new teaching and then they've just pulled a few words out of context and used those words to prove their case when those words actually weren't talking about that at all, talking about something entirely different. Uh, but, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves now. That We're not going to get to that for a few weeks. So Peter is reminding them, hold fast to what you were taught by the apostles, The apostles have authority, and we should respect this. And that's going to be coming through quite solidly in this letter as we study it. But you know what? In true Christian humility, before Peter reminds them of his authority as an apostle, first, he describes himself as a servant of Jesus or a slave of Jesus Christ see it's not because peter was such a great man that that he has authority peter is but a slave of jesus christ but what an amazing calling that is to be a slave of jesus christ i was reminded of the way that it was a calling for peter when when i noticed the way he introduced himself he called himself simon peter now Simon was the name that his parents gave him, although it would have actually been Simeon, I'm sure, being Hebrews. But when Jesus called him as a disciple, Jesus looked at him and he said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, um, coming from Petra, meaning rock. And Peter, before he is filled with the Holy Spirit, He was nothing like a rock. But that all changed, and it changed dramatically. After Jesus had been raised from the dead, he sent his Holy Spirit upon the church, and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them and came upon Peter, and from that time on, Peter was bold for Jesus. Peter truly became the rock that Jesus had named him. And so Simon was called to become Peter. A lowly slave of Jesus Christ, but also a rock and an authoritative apostle of Jesus Christ. Right? So that's the bloke who's writing the letter, Peter. And here we are. I'm actually two pages into the message already, and we haven't even got to the address yet. And I want you to know that's not unusual. No, it's not unusual because I'm long-winded all the time. All right, I am long-winded all the time. Okay, I'll accept that. But, but it's not unusual because what I've noticed is every time we've studied one, one of these letters of the apostles, what really comes through to me is how rich in theology the opening of the letter is. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me when I'm doing my daily Bible readings at home, when I get to the start of, of one of these letters, I, I tend to just skim over these bits. I just read through it and, oh yeah. But you know what? When we actually take time to study even these opening words, the richness is just so rewarding. Uh, they tend to remind us of Jesus Christ. They remind us of who we are in Christ Jesus often they'll remind us about the sovereign will of God and they'll remind us about the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the peace of God. And the way that Peter addresses this letter, I want you to understand that this is who we are. All right? This is the address to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What an address. Wow, to, to unpack what that means in that address. I think about my address, P.O. Box 357, St. George 4487. That's pretty boring, really. What about this address? Imagine if a letter... Arrived at the post office and Trina there in the post office is, is reading this address. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Ours? Who's it from? Well, it's from the Apostle Peter. Oh, this must be for that Bush Disciples mod, mob. They've got a pretty strong faith in Jesus. They'd have a faith just like Peter. By the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. They're always talking about the righteousness of God and you can't shut them up about that saviour of theirs. Imagine if a letter came to this town, they arrived at the post office, would they go, oh, that must belong to that church? Would it? This, this should be our address. This should be describing us. And to unpack that, Wow. Do we ever get to see true equality in this world? Hmm. Even in our political systems, in our institutions, in our justice system, where justice is supposed to be blind and all are supposedly equal, I'm pretty sure we all know very well that some are more equal than others. Do people agree? Pretty much. As the Proverbs teach us, the rich rule over the poor, they're the ones who have the power. In Australia, you'd probably add to that the famous, the famous rule over the nobodies. Um, but we need to realise that you know, on a world scale, we are the rich and we rule over the poor of the world. Uh, this is rather a sobering thing for us. Um, and so justice should always be firmly in our mind Uh, Not just within our own local community. We should be thinking about how we act justly in the world scene. But in Christ Jesus, all disciples of Jesus have an equal standing before God. We can count on this. Right? I'll explain why. Work with me. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. Right? Right? I'm, I'm looking for a response here. Yeah. Okay. So when we confess our sins, he cleanses us of us cleanses us of our sins, right? Yes. Can I have a little more? Yes. Yes. Okay. He makes us pure, right? He makes us holy, right? And of course, he makes some more pure than others. No. He makes some more holy than others. No. See, I think sometimes we get into our head that it has something to do with our starting point, right? So I started out as a decent sort of a bloke. You know, I'm a pretty good fella. So when I get saved, I take up, God takes me up 10 steps and I become a top tier Christian. Whereas you... (laughs) Andrew you're a scum of the earth before you were saved and and but so you still get to go up 10 steps but that makes you a bottom tier Christian right is that the way it works no we're all top tier Christians we're all equal in God's sight when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in God's eyes you are on an equal standing with the apostle Peter not because the apostle Peter was a useless apostle and not because you are such a grand and great Christian, but simply because when God looks at the apostle Peter, he sees the righteousness of his own son. And when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his own son. And Peter says this by the righteousness of our God and savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when we read over that, I wonder, did you grasp the gravity of what was just said there? Jesus is not only Saviour. Jesus Christ is God. He is our God and our Saviour. Now, in this sentence, the righteousness of God is meaning the fairness of God the justice of God you see God's whole plan of salvation revolves around the love of God and the righteousness of God or the justice of God because God is perfect in righteousness he cannot fellowship with the impure that presents a bit of a problem for us doesn't it because we are sinful creatures But because God loves us so much, he had to find a way of getting rid of that impurity, right? So God hates sin so much and he loves us so much that he gave his one and only beloved son that we might become free and become pure and holy. No one is more holy than the other. In the eyes of God, the Apostle Peter, is of no higher standing than I am and, you, and I am of no higher standing than, than you are. And yet, the way we function in, in our society, in, in the Christian church, um, we don't actually live that as reality. We, we seem to live in the age of the celebrity Christian, don't we? You know, we, oh, the Christian rock star, he's a great one. And the Christian sportsman, we'd love to get to know them. And the Christian businessman and the Christian author and the Christian actor. And then you've got celebrity preachers and probably even more popular, a celebrity worship leader. And we look up to these people. I want you to know, in the eyes of God, these are of no higher standing mm-hmm and have no higher privileged status over the most unknown, the most uncelebrated, simple nobody who comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I am. I'm, and I'm very comfortable with that. I'm a nobody. I am a simple nobody. And you probably are too. Well, not all of you. Some of you are very special, I'm sure. But what makes us somebodies? is this higher calling that we've been called to in Christ Jesus. So that's the address. Now the greeting. How would you greet somebody in a letter? G'day, how are you going? And then don't wait for them to answer. <laughs> um, if, if you're one of my kids, you might say, sup? I know um, when my mum was teaching me to write letters, and she might be listening to this, by the way. Hello, mum. She couldn't get here today for the dedication. She said, oh, watch the video. So I, I'm hoping you're listening to the message as well and you didn't turn it off after the dedication. Hello, mum. Love you heaps. But when my mum was, was teaching me how to write letters, she taught me to write, dear so-and-so. So let's say, dear Auntie Margaret, I hope you are well. Um... You know what, Peter's a fair bit more spiritual than that, more spiritual than sup too. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Because we are Christians, because our faith is in the Prince of Peace, grace and peace are not only available, The blessing of God is to receive grace and peace in abundance. See, this is the type of knowledge he's talking about. He's not talking about knowing about God. He's talking about knowing him, knowing him personally, right? Knowing about God isn't going to bring me peace unless I also know him. Knowing about Jesus isn't going to bring me peace unless I also know him. I might even know about grace, but I won't experience grace unless I know Jesus as my Lord. It's about knowing God. And part of knowing God is also about not being known by God. It's about knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. It's about Having an intimate, loving relationship with our Lord who loved us first. Because Jesus is Lord, that means we submit to Him. We're certainly not on an equal footing with with Jesus. We might be on an equal footing with Peter, but not with Jesus. Because Jesus is the King of kings, He's the Lord of lords. And like Peter, we are slaves. But we're slaves in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that should give us an abundance of peace, shouldn't it? It's like, who are you friends with? You know, I'm friends with the tough guy beside me. Well, imagine how much peace you have when your close friend and saviour The one who loves you more than anything else in the world is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That should give us an abundance of peace no matter what's going on in the world around us. Now, an abundance of peace, that that doesn't mean that everything's always going to go well for me in the physical realm and by worldly standards. I mean, think about Peter. Jesus has just not long ago told him that he's about to die. And yet Peter is so filled with grace and peace, so much so that, that his prayer is that grace and peace would be multiplied to us. Isn't that amazing? His prayer wasn't, oh, stop me from being killed. His prayer was for us, that, that we would have grace and peace multiplied to us. Now, to pray a prayer like that, you you have to have experienced grace and peace and know how wonderful it is that you want to then pass that on to others. So where does this grace and peace come from? Well, it's all about what Jesus has done. Now, I've I've actually mentioned to a couple of you, I I told the men at Men's Bible Study this week that I actually found this one of the hardest messages to pull together. Not because it's hard to understand, but because Peter just pulls in truths from all sorts of directions and just lumps it all in together. And now my job is to try and explain it in a way that's sort of going to make it flow so we can get it, right? And what comes next in the letter was a very long sentence. In the Greek, there's 47 words in the one sentence. In the English, because sometimes it takes two English words to to make up for one Greek word, there are 68 words in the one sentence. Um, So I'm going to have to break it up a little bit. So why do we have grace and peace? God has given us a grant by his divine power. That simply means because God is God. He's given everything that we need for life and godliness. Now, when he says life and godliness, he's not meaning two separate things. He's not meaning he's given us everything we need for life so all we can think about everything we want for life and we can sort of tack the godliness onto that because he's given us everything we need for godliness. What it means is it comes together, right? So it's talking about a godly life. God, because God is God, he's given us everything we need for a godly life. What's that look like? I mean, that should be our aim, shouldn't it? To be living a godly life. Well, what does true godliness look like? Different people will give us their idea of godliness. What, what, what is it? Well, I, I sort of just pulled a few things together. I think to be godly means we have a proper attitude toward God. Got to start there. We have to have a desire for God's will and a manner of life that reflects the God whom we worship. You see, when we know God, we also know what he's called us to. He's called us to his own glory and excellence. As disciples of Jesus, that's what he has called us to, to his own glory and excellence. Within this letter, Peter's going to reminisce on a time when he actually got to see with his own eyes the glory of Jesus being revealed to him. It's what we know about when they climbed the Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration. So Peter and a couple of other disciples and Jesus all climbed this mountain and there Jesus was transformed and transfigured uh, and they got to catch a glimpse of the glory of Jesus right there on that mountaintop. And he's going remind, to remind us of that time. And he's going to point us to the future promise of, of God. You see, Peter, he only got to catch a very short glimpse of the glory of God at the transfiguration. But God has granted us that we will participate in the glory of Of God. We'll experience his glory. But not yet. And everybody went, Oh. You see, living the Christian life is about the now but the not yet. Do you understand this? The now, but the not yet. By faith in Jesus we are saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. It's the now, but the not yet. By the blood of Jesus, we are made holy and we are made righteous. But you know what? I had a few cranky words, which I probably should have aimed at myself, but I aimed them at my wife the other day. Probably yesterday, sorry Rob, And... I'm reminded that, hang on, God's made me holy, but I'm not holy. I'm still sinning. But I look forward to the time when sin's going to be completely dealt with. God has granted us eternal life. We have received eternal life, and yet we die, and we are yet to be raised. There will be no more sickness and disease And yet when we pray for the sick, some are healed and others are not. And faithful disciples of Jesus, who have faithful disciples of Jesus praying for them, get sick and suffer. They get cancer. And every single one of them so far have eventually died. We have the now, but the not yet. Which is why Peter can say that he, meaning God, has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Right? So he has granted that we may become partakers of the divine nature. We have the promise and this is a sure thing but it is yet to come. One of the greatest errors in our contemporary Western Christian culture, uh, and I I use that phrase on purpose. Uh, Somebody corrected me the other day. Sometimes I talk about one of the greatest errors that the Christian church has at the moment, and they said, you know what, that's actually not so much the church, that's actually more the Christian culture that we live in. So one of the greatest errors in our contemporary Western Christian culture is the quest to have glory now. You see, what we actually have now, by the grace of God, is the precious promises of Jesus. And these promises will be, but not yet. We caught a glimpse of the glory of Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. And we know that the glory will come. But we're just waiting for it. And a fair lump of this letter is going to focus on reminding us that the glory is yet to come. When does that happen? When Jesus returns. And we're going to be told in this letter to be praying for when Jesus comes. And we should be praying that God would expedite this. Lord, please send Jesus and send him soon. And our great hope is that Jesus will come in our own lifetime. When Jesus returns in glory, all of his promises will be completely fulfilled. There will be no more sickness. There will be no disease. There will be no death. There will be no more temptation. There will be no more sin. We will be totally transformed. Peter talks about how at that time we may become partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? That's deep, to become a partaker of the divine nature. Well, it certainly doesn't mean that we become God. God is God. I'm not God and neither are you. And so let's let's not have a blurring of the lines between the creator and the creature. But the precious promises of Jesus is that we, who were created in the image of God and have believed in the Son of God and have been filled with the Spirit of God, we will receive the immortality of God and the incorruptibility of God and the divine goodness of God. And that's what it means to become partakers of the divine nature. We become like God, like a son becomes like his father. I mean, you look at little Samuel there and and Jake. He's like a chip off the old block, isn't he? He's a little Jake. He's going to be just like him. And you look at little... Little Nathan there, he's like a chip off the old block, isn't he? He's just like his dad. And he's going to grow up to be just like his dad. He's already getting tall and strong. And and this is a common thing. We see it all the time, don't we? Where where sons become like their dads and daughters become like their mums. Look at that little Claire Bear there. She's just a little Lauren, isn't she? She's going to be just like her mum when she grows up. And we become like our Heavenly Father. In a way, this participation in the divine nature, it begins now. This is also part of the now, but the not yet. We are not yet perfected, but God is transforming us, is he not? Yes, yes, he is transforming us. And um, over the last few weeks, as we finished off our series on Galatians, we've been learning about the fruit of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. And last week, we talked about how we are new creations. You see, before we were saved, we were totally corrupt, Peter talks about the corruption that is in the world that we have escaped. Why is this world so corrupt? Well, because I was in it and I was part of it. Yes, but it's also about sin and sinful desire. And and what I was discovering as I was reading through Second Peter, and one of the advantages is of being a very short book. I think I read it half a dozen times or more while I was preparing for this week. And every time I read it, I just found myself thinking, you know what, this I didn't plan it this way, but this follows on really well from where we were up to in Galatians. In Galatians we're taught that the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. They're at war with one another. And sin, it will continue to be a problem for us this side of glory. So in this letter, Peter urges us to live in godliness. And we're going to get to that next week. It's all part of the now, but not yet. We look forward to a time when sin will no longer be an issue. But that time is not yet. But until then, we have already escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The now is that we have escaped from sinful corruption. How have we escaped? By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by submitting to him as Lord, by knowing him, by truly knowing him, not just knowing about him, by having a relationship with him. We've escaped by the calling that we have to his grace, sorry, to his glory and excellence. And we've escaped by awaiting the future glory we have at the return of Jesus Christ. This is what sets us apart from the world. And this is why Peter prays that grace and peace would be multiplied to us the better we know our Lord Jesus Christ, not knowing about him, knowing him, the better we know him, the more aware we will become of the grace that God lavishes upon us. And the more we realise that we've escaped the corruption of the world, the more we'll experience the peace of God. So there you go. That's four verses pretty much, uh, hello, this is a letter from me to you, blessings. Um, and I just feel totally inadequate today. I've felt totally inadequate all week. As, as I've read this letter, I've just felt the whole time, we can only scratch the surface. We can barely scratch the surface of, of the truth and, and the wonder of, of what Paul, Peter's telling us here. And yep, we have only scratched the surface. But my prayer is that as we study this letter together, that, um, that it'll go deeper. And that these things, they won't just become knowledge to us, that, that this will become more about our relationship with God as we grow closer to him and that we will experience this, this grace and peace of God in a whole new and more powerful way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We look forward to the day of glory, when Jesus will return and these precious promises will be fulfilled. Our minds can barely envisage what it will be like to become a partaker in the divine nature. Lord, such grand things for our simple minds, but we know it's gonna be good. It's gonna be oh so good. Lord, we thank you for your righteousness, for the love that you have for us, that love which we have received through Jesus Christ, giving himself on the cross. Lord, we are truly humbled. And Lord, as we await this glorious day and your glorious coming, help us to live in all godliness. You've told us how you've granted us all things that we need for a godly life. Help us to honour you as we keep in step with your Spirit, as we await this coming glory. And Lord, help us to know you, that we would participate in you and that your divine nature would become our nature. And we pray for a multiplication of your grace and peace. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.